And we're back after that brief hiatus with about half a dozen more episodes to go. Welcome to episode 8. I'm your host Noel Woodward and this is For the Love of. For the Love of the Sea. All aboard with Kevin Woodward. Kevin is a second mate and a watchkeeping officer. Also, the ship's navigator. Other duties vary, but the second mate is often the medical officer, is in charge of maintaining distress signaling equipment, and assists the chief mate with cargo operations. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Kevin where we discuss safety protocols traversing the Suez Canal, which has become quite infamous over the past couple of days, Kevin's favorite current, as well as his encounter with pirates. Um just circling back to the aspect of safety. So just want to understand uh, you kind of accounting for effects of winds, tides, currents, you know. uh estimated speed and the officer directs the helmsman to keep everything on track and so I just wanted to know what are the safety demands of a vessel especially when it comes to navigating safely one uh second is the effect of the weather and third is fire because from what i remember there were some instances out of these three that uh, you've been you've actually witnessed on board when navigation is concerned it's a very vast statement i mean to cover in like an hour let's be very honest yeah but uh, we follow this book called solas yeah okay this is our bible let's see yeah and if you open uh, a chapter here it's mentioned as to every and each and every requirement for one is men- they mention few things here which i will i'm not going to be, be very specific because doesn't make sense uh it it gives you an idea of what is the requirement of a ship whether it needs one radar or two radars whether it needs uh two gpss or one uh, so it that is depends on the size of the ship on the amount of cargo it's carrying and it's you know length and breadth and it's a very and this is decided by a classification society who basically uh checks the safety norms of the ship and puts things into place to cover each and every danger i mean including navigation problems into place uh the second thing is that we follow a rule book which is like uh where we have your where we have to follow it's it's called uh, colreg where we use these rules to navigate the ship and it's very well mentioned as to if you have a head on situation you will always alter your course to the right side of the of the ship and both will alter to the right so that both pass by the left now that is what we call what in our terms we would call it alter course to starboard side and pass the ship on your port side yeah so your right side is always the st- starboard side and there are 38 rules today i mean before there were 34 and they because of the evolvement of shipping they have increased few more rules and it's very important to know each and every one of them to navigate today it's uh, it is without that you and the knowledge of that and its application you cannot drive a ship 
So that's 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 the safety which we are taking care of where navigation is concerned. Whereas we really have to know our our rules, and it is against you if you make a mistake. And God forbid something happens, you can be taken to court, and you can be you can lose your license, you can be uh, put into jail, and it's not a very pleasant sight after that. So that's where navigation is concerned. Safety of ship. Whereas you uh, you mentioned the uh, second thing, what you mentioned was weather. So weather has a huge impact on a vessel. So you have current, wind. You have uh, uh, current and wind, which is the predominant factors, which uh, slows which, which slows you down. or probably makes you go faster okay so the wind of a ship a wind aspect which is affecting on the ship depends on its windage area like basically if you put a huge if usually a, a container ship because of the containers which are stacked up on deck has a huge windage area around it so wind will probably play a larger factor than a tanker oil tanker whose 80% of its ship is sunk in the water so if you have a, a a container ship which has a high windage area so your wind factor would be more and uh, this depends on the strength of the wind and where is it coming from it also plays on the fact of stability of the ship because if you get wind from the stern which is from the back portion of your ship it tends to roll your ship tries to you know it meanders and it keeps on rolling from end from port to starboard so this is one of the structural i mean i would rather say that if you get wind from your stern even though it's a calm day at sea there's a high possibility that you know you will start rolling and that is because of the structure of the vessel and this is one of the traits of what wind does and it's and sometimes you know the captain will come on the bridge and he's like why is it rolling everything is normal at sea I mean, it's looking quite nice. Sun is out, and then we like, okay, yeah, okay, I understand. Wind is from stern, and so, yeah, so that's one of the reasons. And current, see, there are many currents all over the world, okay, and in in the ocean area around the world, and it's good to have it on your side and not against you. because one is that we burn more fuel to fight the current there is this i mean especially one of my favorite currents is the agulhas current it is between madagascar and south africa okay it goes up to 4 knots and it can push you to really high speeds and i remember it i was a third officer in 2016 and i was coming from singapore uh at the speed of 20 knots uh and we were heading to santos brazil and i remember it was around 10:30 in the night and i was passing exactly uh you know i just passed madagascar and i was turning on around just turning at the cape of good hope to head to into the south atlantic ocean and uh, and i called the captain i said you know captain uh, you know sh- ship speed is now 25 knots I mean, this is like a, a lot. Uh, should I slow down? 
and he's like uh, why you call me is the gulas current don't call me i'm watching a movie i mean see i mean it was a joke okay i mean but it was really i mean i mean it's my job to call the captain and it is in his standing orders to inform him at any time and no captain will always say that uh, you know why you called me that is his job to be available at all times but, uh, yeah there are things that you know where you can he they have their jokes at the officers i mean captain is doesn't sleep he's always awake and he's there at your assistance at all times and uh, fire where fire is concerned see uh, the ship is equipped with two modes of fire one is your portable fire extinguishing medium and your fixed fire extinguishing medium so there are a few guidelines which is mentioned in the solas where you should have these many fire extinguishers placed in certain amount of distance in a closed space or a half semi closed space and that's one part of the portable extinguishers so if you understand i mean there are let's let's explain to you what the portable extinguisher is so there are three types of extinguishers one is your co2 extinguisher one is your uh, powder extinguisher okay that is your dry chemical powder and one is your foam extinguisher and of course you have water but what we don't use water water extinguishers so they are trained these fire extinguishers are used in specific locations depending on the high proximity of what type of fire is in that location if you are near the engine room you probably have a you know oil fire so with the oil fire you'd probably use a foam or a dry chemical powder you know which would probably use the effect of smothering yeah and kill the fire in the location but if you have an electrical fire you'll probably use co2 okay because uh, that is what a co2 does where it kills the oxygen and you will not that's how it will not cause a rekindling of the fire so that's when you have that kind of fire you are supposed to actually close all the vents limit the amount of oxygen in the location and you could use a co2 uh, extinguisher and extinguish the fire so these are your portable means of extinguishers which are placed strategically all on board and it can go up to hundreds on the ship uh, there's a car carrier i remember who i heard there were around 300 extinguishers on board and and it depends from ship to ship so these are your portable extinguishers plus you have your fixed extinguishers where you have co2 uh, and co2 carbon dioxide which are stored in a co2 room uh, with which is behave like a battery which is used to combat severe and heavy fires in the cargo holds of the ship and that is released from the co2 room by the specific order of the captain and chief engineer i or you cannot touch that place and that is done in extreme situations where you know things are going out of hand and god forbid anybody sees this but uh, to use co2 extinguisher and co2 fixed extinguisher is uh, not a pleasant sight and it shows that things are not going your way and you've not contained it and it is things are going south 
but co2 extinguishers would do the job because it's i mean it's made to do it but it's not a pleasant sight and uh, so that's your and also in the engine room it's covered you have your co2 extinguishers which are covered and they are there to cover or kill any kind of spark or flame in case of fire in the engine room so there's also another kind of threat which we haven't spoken about but i remember this um because you told us about this um you had your own captain phillips moment where a couple of pirates were chasing your vessel and so basically could you recount that experience and how the threat was mitigated so i mean that i see it i remember it was uh in 2000 2013 or 14 it was 1st of january and we all had a nice 31st night party you know and you know and it was sun, it was sunday i remember and we were all on holiday it means holiday means i mean minimum job and it was broad daylight and we could see like you know two boats chasing us and uh, we i mean that time i was a cadet so i did not know what was really happening but i was on the navigational bridge at that time so the duty officer called the captain and uh, we uh, he took evasive actions where we speed up we increased the speed of the ship and we started doing an higher speed to run away from them and nowadays uh, we i mean we i mean not we as my company or anything of that sort uh they nowadays many companies hire armed guards on board and uh, they are there for our protection and if they find any kind of threat to the vessel and the life of the person on board that is our, the captain and his crew they will shoot and they have come quite well equipped with fully automatic weapons rocket launchers night goggle vision night vision goggles and they keep us safe when we go through this area especially near somalia uh which is a very very strategic location for huge ships to reach the suez canal and which end up in europe as you know suez canal shortens the trip by a large distance otherwise ships have to go around the cape of good hope Uh, which is around africa so suez canal is very very important for huge liners which reach ports in europe and uh, they corner and catch ships there because it's a very narrow location one place called babel mandik which is a very narrow area of sea of sea or water to navigate uh, as part of somalia juts out and uh, you have yemen on the other side where it's where you have high density traffic and it's narrow so people move at i mean ships move at a very safe speed which is quite easy for small speed boats to chase us uh so where i was concerned uh on that day i remember uh they were given two warning shots yeah and uh, like egg they shot two warning shots and uh, they realized that you know this is a wrong ship to mess with and they turned around but uh, 
on another day if they did not know that we were equipped with uh, these armed guards on board uh i would have been i mean uh, there's some other things could have happened which could have been unfortunate i mean we are trained to uh, to keep a lookout on these boats they have very specific characteristic where you would see you know a fish they look like huge fishing boats and in those fishing boats they have small speed boats and they move without purpose so a, a real fisherman would be probably busy catching his fish and you know running behind his net or trying to you know give signal us to move away from his net so he has some intent whereas these guys who are means pirates or robbers or arm robbers who we call them they are in the middle of the ocean doing nothing waiting for soft targets like us because we are huge and uh, more less maneuverable than them because they are small and we are like sitting ducks and so this is the only way out to have arm guards and to fight them basically fight fire with fire and so if i mean it is our duty as navigating officers that if we see something like this i am duty bound to call the captain and we have to take some evasive action and uh, to save our life and cargo and uh, and the ship because each life is irreplaceable and the cargo on board is super expensive so yeah. just want to go back to uh, the part about the suez canal because uh, that's an extremely uh, difficult um zone to maneuver in especially because it's high density and uh, there's a lot of you know traffic like you said and the ships have to move really slowly so have you been through the suez canal and uh, could you just talk about the navigation part of that yeah i have been to suez canal quite a number of times uh, this was when i was a cadet as i mentioned before uh, which was way back in 2012 13 uh, where my vessel used to do a, a route from uh, southeast asia uh, china and we used to go through the suez canal to the black sea where you have uh, where you would pass suez canal and head north through uh, istanbul and the bosphorus strait uh, into the black sea uh, where i used to call ports of uh, novorossiysk and uh, odessa where novorossiysk is in russia and odessa is in ukraine and so suez canal i mean suez canal is a i don't remember i think it's around 110 nautical miles of a canal where it is piloted throughout by egyptian pilots they are very trained senior captains and quite aged i mean they are around minimum i mean average age of a suez canal pilot is around 55 to 60 because they are really i mean specified and i mean they're type specific for that transit and uh, we transit the suez canal in around say 6 to 8 hours and we go in a convoy where every ship uh, follows a specific speed so that we don't touch each other and uh, we move in batches depending on the traffic and the speed and we transited it's a very crucial 
part of navigation where there is land around and you are in a small kind of meander river kind of uh, system where you can't the margin of error is zero if you make an error there are about 10 shifts behind you who would who will have a bumper to bumper car effect and and it would close down the most economic i mean the the gateway to europe i would say which is we are cut catastrophic economic meltdown so that was an extremely fascinating geography refresher thanks for that yeah. so there's this just just moving on a bit from that there's this notion that seafarers spend 6 to 9 months at sea and then they don't do anything for the next 6 months i i know that's not true at all uh, you've got to continue learning and working to pick up rank could you explain how that process works uh, see i mean uh, where an officer is concerned uh, some companies do keep you for 6 months at sea okay that's where the notion has come from but i mean some companies keep you for 4 months at sea and give you a 3 month break so it depends from company to company uh where i'm concerned i do 5 months at sea and i usually go back at after 4 months where uh i have a good break at home and and that's the time where i you know i start going to do some classes some courses and uh, to get i mean you have to you have to always be ready to get your license for the higher rank and uh, because uh, you never know when promotions would come in your way and you have to be licensed for that promotion otherwise you're not uh, how do i say you're not prepared for it basically by paper even though you may have practical knowledge you don't you're not licensed for that job so as of now like uh, i am studying to you know get my license for chief officer uh, so that's the next rank that i would probably get i mean i will get in the future uh, but it is a very slow process where you have to especially in india where you have to give two batches of exams of written papers uh, where each batch of exam and um, papers have around 7 papers so in total you give 14 papers and the passing percentage is 70% whereas uh, for i mean to give you a uh, from the students perspective uh, if i make i am allowed to make only i am allowed to make one question allow only allowed to make a mistake in one question and that is i mean if i get if i get more than one question wrong i'm i fail and and this is very very important for uh, that is only one part of the examination where you have 14 papers to give as to become a chief officer after that you go and sit in front of a panel of captains uh, and give an oral examination where he will ask you uh I mean theory based questions put into practice and so, for example uh, he would ask you uh, as you brought out uh, the fact of the suez canal here he would ask you you are navigating a ship through suez canal 
and you have fire on board uh, and somebody shouts fire in certain location, what would be your action? And it is my job to answer that question correctly so that you put all your bookish knowledge into practice and you know that you have so that the examiner in front of you knows that this guy has a clear idea of things and when things really happen he would probably do a hands-on job or else you know you need someone to react in pressure situations otherwise if you would be stuck uh, and you as a chief officer where people look up to you as a senior management rank officer your subordinates won't move when especially when you aren't moved so and that could go on for a few hours. And the examination process is a very um, strenuous, low, and it's quite hard. I mean, it's quite difficult to pass. And because they, you may pass the papers, I mean, the written examinations, uh, but the oral examination is quite difficult to pass. I mean, I look at myself giving two attempts or probably three attempts to even get through. I mean, it's it's quite it's quite normal to get through that way. I mean, where you give two or three attempts and uh, you would clear it because uh, when you go for the first time, they clear your you know you know basic concepts, and once once they see that you're given few attempts, they know that this part is cleared, so they move into other specific data and they clear you that way and around three three attempts is the average if you are exceptional i would rather say two attempts is like a good if you give if you got your license in two attempts you're superb you're i mean you've given a good oral exam yeah yeah so just coming to the second last part of the episode um i've called it a rapid fire round but some of these might not elicit rapid responses. But uh, who who cares? It's interesting nonetheless. <laughs> so uh, I've got a couple of these. Um, the highs of being at sea. This morning coffee when the sun rises. That's the best thing that ever could have. I mean, that, that's the best. That's the high at sea. The lows of being at sea. No battery in your laptop and <laughs> you really want to watch something and you forgot to charge it. Because that is your only mode of entertainment on board. Yeah. Um, The countries you've been to on your routes. Uh, It's above 49, I know. (laughs) More than 49 countries. Uh, So it, I mean, so the countries, let's start from, I've been to, I'm going to start from moving from the west to the east. So I've been to Canada. I've been to the United States. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Argentina, uh, Uruguay. Uh, so that is your North and South America. Uh, and then if you move more towards East uh, Europe, uh, you have Ukraine, no versus Russia, um, uh, Turkey, and down in Africa, I have Tanzania, Kenya, uh, South Africa, India, Pakistan, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, uh, Burma, uh, 
Philippines, Malaysia, China. I mean, it's yeah. quite. Yeah, that, that's that's good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the next one is uh, countries that you've been able to visit and get on shore because I believe most of the time you're busy with a lot of work at the ports. You see, the thing is that uh, when we are at uh, when we are at port, especially with the container ship, we don't get time to go out. So, uh, because of the fast turnaround of the vessel, so the best that I could do is like a quick bite in the local uh, cuisine there. And I remember it was uh, I was in Uruguay in this restaurant in Montevideo, uh, with in this restaurant uh, called Veronica. Sitting with Veronica, who's a 60-year-old granny with her 21-year-old granddaughter, with a bottle of wine, and uh, that's the and that and having local cuisine where you have barbecue and chorizo, which is like really amazing. So my me visiting a place is trying the local cuisine. Yeah. So uh, your most exciting time at sea. That's a very, uh, very, very hard question to answer. Most exciting time was uh, right now. Let's speak about uh, when we passed the Great Amphan, which hit Calcutta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was quite. Uh, I mean, this is the latest thing that I, I saw where, uh, you know, very heavy, heavy, heavy uh, uh, weather. It's not exciting for a sailor. But it kept you on edge where, I mean, it was so bad that my refrigerator, which is bolted to the ground, blew right across my cabin, you know, because it was there was so much of uh, sweeping seas and the ship was rolling quite uh, heavily. Yeah. 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 Um, so apart from all those serious seafaring and charting routes, what do you do to unwind aboard the vessel? I mean, you've spoken about, uh, you know, watching movies uh playing bad uh, playing table tennis so what are the other activities recreational activities that you can kind of other activities at sea uh i usually go for a i usually go like you know it's my weird practice where after dinner if it is still if the sun is up because you know we eat dinner at 5 30 in the evening the sun is usually up so i usually inform the navigational officer on the bridge and I go out on deck just just to stroll. I keep a walkie-talkie with me for like safety measure, but I like to do that. I mean, it's a it's just a just an un, just a general stroll around the vessel. It takes me seven minutes to go to the forward of the ship because the ship is three hundred meters long. Okay, so that's that's my you know you know decompress button. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is what I usually do. Yeah, and. The final part of this uh, segment is why should anyone join the Merchant Navy? This question, I mean, this, I mean, it's a very, very broad question answer here. It's a very, I mean, uh, personal choice is one of the criteria which is very important because if you are joining the Merchant Navy, you should love the job. Okay. And that is what I do. And I do love my job. And I like going by the sea. Right now, I am almost reaching three months at home. It's biting me. Trust me. My bed, my own bed is biting me right now that I want to go back and work. So you must, I mean, that's one of the reasons if you love your job and you want to do something like this, 
it's fine uh see gives you different aspect of life where you are stranded in a 300 meter ship with water all around you and you have to fend for yourself not the literal meaning but at the fact that where you have to survive it's not for the faint hearted and that is someone who likes the thrill who likes something to live out of the box and not to sit behind a desk and work that's the only reason that you should join see there are many other things that people probably would say that you know it good money that i don't believe in okay it you it pays well you see many places these are quite common uh perks that they call at, at when you join this i mean the merchant navy but i don't believe in this because a person who i mean uh people earn more than us at atland uh, at uh, it's very obvious and we don't get to see places as much as you probably would because of this round you know fast on around of the vessel but if you do, are not ready to sit at a desk and push paper this is where you should be something which you believe which is on hands thanks a lot man for an extremely insightful and invigorating discussion hope to see you here soon thank you so much take care thanks bye And that was part 2 of the episode there are a couple of links in the show notes so do check those out subscribe to us on anchor spotify apple podcast podcast and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts follow us on instagram at for the love of podcast or write to us with your thoughts ideas comments at connect at for the love of podcast dot in see you next week this is for the love of